Hey everyone, welcome to the first episode of the Immortal Icons of Dance podcast. I'm your host, Lauren Johnson. In this introductory episode, I wanted to give you some backstory on how and why I developed this podcast and what you can expect from it going forward. Each week, I will interview a dancer or a choreographer, a director or composer about their experiences working with the great dancers of the 20th century. I read a lot of autobiographies and memoirs of the 20th century dancers, but it's one thing to hear about how a person talks about themselves, and it's another thing entirely to hear how other people perceive you. Neither one is true or false, they're just different perspectives on the same reality. And I think the more perspectives that you can see, the more you can build a three-dimensional person in your mind. When I take dance classes in New York, I can't tell you the number of times a teacher has casually slipped in an anecdote or a correction that Bob Fosse or Jerome Robbins gave them. And my jaw drops when I realize I'm now part of keeping those legacies alive. Every story that my teacher tells in class is a part of a history, and I'm now part of that dance lineage. And I'm always standing there thinking, why isn't someone recording this? This is so valuable. So I decided to do something about it. I decided to do it myself. To invite artists to this podcast to record their memories and experiences working with the dancers who have become immortal through their lasting work and teachings. This podcast really is a culmination of so many passions in my life. First and foremost, I am a dancer. Everything I do, watch, read, or talk about is dance-related in some way. I'm also a bibliophile. I love reading and collecting books, especially vintage books about dance. My apartment is full of bookshelves. In fact, I built a custom bookshelf into my ceiling when I ran out of space on my normal shelves on the floor. The more I read, the more I want to share with other people what I've read. And I think a lot of people want to know these stories too. They just don't have the time to pick up a book or you just don't even realize it's out there. There's so many dancers who have written about their experiences in books and the books are just sitting on shelves, getting dusty, waiting for someone to pick them up and learn from them. I'm also an educator. I love to teach. Usually, I'm in a dance studio teaching dance, but recently, the last couple of years, my teaching has expanded to include teaching about the history of dance. I'm not sure if I can call myself a dance historian yet, but what I like to call myself is a dance history curator. I spend hours combing through books, articles, videos, and archives to pull together photos, quotes, and sometimes footage that can tell a visual story. A lot of my work right now is done on Instagram, where I package dance history into small, bite-sized packages that people can enjoy and appreciate as like a quick pit stop while they're scrolling. But the more research I do and the more I learn, the more I realize this important history can't all be squeezed into a social media post. This podcast will be a place for long-form conversation to happen on these dance topics. By the way, if you're interested in seeing the dance history curation that I do on Instagram, my handle is at laurenjohnson20. And Lauren is spelled with a Y and not an E. Thanks, Mom. Although I've been a dancer since I was three years old, 
I never foresaw myself becoming a dance historian or anything like this. My studio training growing up actually didn't include very much historical background at all. While I received great technique training, I graduated high school without ever learning the names Fosse, Balanchine, or Bennett. I hope to change that and make dance history more accessible to young dancers. So how did I get here then? Well, we're going to do a flashback. Here's my origin story. In 2014, I moved to New York City to attend a semester-long training program at Broadway Dance Center. At this point, I had only visited New York one time before this for a weekend, and I saw my first Broadway show then, which happened to be Pippin. At the time, I didn't know anything about dance history or Broadway. We just picked a random show at the TKTS stand, and so we ended up seeing Pippin. Looking back at my playbill from that first Broadway show I saw, I could see that I was immediately exposed to a dance legend, Charlotte Dambois, in that show. And gosh, I wish I could go back and see the show again and really appreciate it, knowing everything that I know now. During this program at Broadway Dance Center, uh, there was an extracurricular activity that was planned for us where we got to go visit the New York City Ballet and we got to watch a working rehearsal. We got a tour of the entire theater and I got to hear about the jewel box for the first time. I got to hear George Balanchine's name for the first time and Jerome Robbins. Uh, when we got to go and sit inside the theater during this onstage rehearsal, they were doing Jerome Robbins's The Concert. And I laughed out loud. That was such a turning point for me. I had no idea that ballet could be funny, that it could be entertaining, that it could be anything more than just the technique class that you took twice a week to support your jazz training. I don't know. Um, it was such an eye opener for me. And I really enjoyed that experience. A couple weeks later, I was visiting the used bookstore West Sider Records. It's on 72nd and Broadway. Go check it out. Where all the used books are related to either dance, music, drama, opera. And so they had this whole wall filled with dance books. And I'm browsing it. And I see a book with an interesting cover with a beautiful dancer on the front. It was titled Once a Dancer by Allegra Kent. Now, at the time, that name means nothing to me. And I pick out the book and I'm reading the back cover and it says that she was a dancer with the New York City Ballet. And I think, oh, isn't that, that's that place that I went to a couple weeks ago, right? Again, I had no concept of the enormity of this institution at the time. It was just, oh, that place that they took me last week. So I bought the book and I read it. And if you don't know, Allegra Kent was um, one of George Balanchine's uh, choreographic muses during his career. There were many ballets created for Allegra. And so in reading her memoir, I fell in love with Balanchine through her eyes and fell in love with the New York City Ballet as a whole. And after that, I went back to the bookstore and I bought Jacques Demblas' book. And I read that cover to cover. And then I went back and I bought Suzanne Farrell's book and I read that. And then it was just a snowball effect after that where I couldn't get enough. And I was trying to read every book that I could find about dancers who were in the New York City Ballet. 
So that all started in 2014, and it kind of continued uh, for another six years until 2020, 2021, I guess, six or seven years. Um, that was just kind of always in the background. It was just a hobby that was my pleasure reading, you know, while I'm on the subway. I was always just pulling out a dance book to read. Um, and there was really no end goal. It was just what I loved to spend my time learning about. Uh, I actually can't tell you the last time that I read a fiction book. Everything that I read is about the history of dance. And during these years, while I was reading, I was also beginning to attend dance performances in New York on a regular basis, particularly at City Ballet. Cut to 2021. New York City Ballet has just reopened after the pandemic. And again, I am back to attending every week whenever I could. And we get to the end of the fall season and it's a big farewell performance. And I just think, wow, wouldn't it be so cool to get to work here? I start paying attention to the ushers, you know, those people that you don't really pay attention to that just kind of greet you and you walk past, you grab your program, you get to your seat and then you're there for the main event. I never really paid much attention to the ushers in the past, but all of a sudden I really envied the fact that they were paid to be there every night while I was paying in order to get through the door. And so I went up to one of the ushers at the end of the fall season and I asked, hey, I know Nutcracker's coming up. You probably have more full houses. Do you need any new ushers? She directed me to talk to the front of house manager at the end of the performance. I did, and I was told to send in my resume and cover letter. The next day, I got a phone call saying, how would you like to work at the New York City Ballet? Now. I know that this is not the biggest, hugest job in the world, being an usher. I know it's not like being invited into a dance company or being given your Broadway debut, but it was pretty cool to get that call and to be asked to work in that theater. I've been working at the theater now for two years as an usher, and I've got to say, it is a pretty cool job. If I wasn't already obsessed with dance history, I mean, this just really took it to a new level. I am now immersed in dance history every night. I am getting to see so much of the repertoire. I'm getting to see more programs than I ever would have been able to come and afford to see if I was working somewhere else. It's also so interesting because I get to watch multiple casts, you know, night after night doing the same ballets. And so I get to see different interpretations. It's really such an education getting to work there and be at the ballet every night. One thing that was really eye opening to me, I mean, it's common sense, I guess. You just never really think about it is just how often these dancers are on stage. I mean seven shows a week. It's just really insane what their schedule is. And it really comes to a head during Nutcracker season when there's something like 55 performances in a row. It's an insane schedule. And so I started doing this thing uh, two years ago where I would post a photo, a historical photo of the Nutcracker from the New York City Ballet. Um, I would post one photo per performance. So I think during Nutcracker season, there's eight and sometimes nine performances a week. And so I would post eight or nine 
photos per week and they would all be numbered with, you know, oh, today was show number five, today was show number 15, kind of counting down. Because I wanted to give sort of just like a visual representation to the outside world of just how often these dancers are, you know, going through this full production. I thought it'd be really cool at the same time to be learning about the production while we're watching it happen night after night. You know, whether you're a patron or a dancer in the company or someone affiliated, I thought it'd be cool to learn about it. It's also cool for, uh, you know, fans of the company who live elsewhere in the country and they can't see performances all that often. They can kind of stay in the loop on a daily basis. And it, it kind of turned into a thing. I was just going to do it for Nutcracker season for those six weeks. Um, but after that, I realized that people were really enjoying the history the same way that I was. And I was finally having an outlet for this passion of mine. So I started doing this for every ballet season. So seven posts a week, we all learn something new about whatever ballet is being performed that evening or that afternoon. I spend so much time at the New York Public Library at Lincoln Center going through the archives, photos that people probably haven't touched in years and years. And I try to bring them to light so that more people can appreciate and just enjoy their beauty. Another piece of the puzzle is all the books I read, especially the first-hand accounts of when these Balanchine ballets were being choreographed. I love pulling some of those quotes from the books and pairing them with some photos from the library and kind of creating this little experience, uh, you know, a well-rounded, a full-circle experience that people get to have that is an extension of what they get to see on stage that night or an extension of what they get to perform on stage that night. And the more I learn, the more I read, the more I watch, the more I want to know. And I go, man, there's so many people walking the halls of this theater. There's so many people walking around Lincoln Center. There's so many people walking around the theater district that know so much. And maybe they haven't written a book yet, or maybe they don't plan to at all. But that doesn't mean that they don't have experiences and memories that are worth learning from. I just have this insatiable desire to learn more about the history of dance and Broadway and theater and ballet and movie musicals. And I'm living in this dance metropolis where I am just an arm's reach away from some of these legends or these people who worked with legends. And I thought, why don't I call them up and say, will you come and talk to me about this person that you learned from? Now about the name, Immortal Icons of Dance. To me, my thinking is that dancers live on beyond their lifetime uh, in three main ways. Either they've written something that lives on beyond them. Maybe it's their autobiography. Maybe it's just a diary that they kept. Maybe it's letters that they sent to other people. Maybe it's, uh, you know, notes on their choreography. That's one way that they live on is through their writing. The second way that I think that dancers live on is through any of their filmed or televised work, anything that's been recorded that we can go back and reference and see. And the third important way that I think that dancers live beyond their lifetime is through their students. 
through their colleagues, through the people that they worked with and taught who carry on their legacies now in their teaching and performing careers. So I believe that the really important dancers who have left an impact, that they have become immortal and we are keeping them alive through the telling of these stories. I want this podcast to become a place where oral histories can be gathered and kept. I don't want to learn the biographical facts about when someone was born, where they trained, where they, that's stuff that I will put in my introductions, you know, to give people context. But the interviews that I want to host, I want to get to the heart of who these people were and the relationships that existed between the immortal icon and their student or the immortal icon and their coworker. I think those are the really beautiful stories that don't get captured as often in formal interviews. The immortal icons of dance are not just immortal or iconic because of their accomplishments. They are also iconic because of who they were as people. And that is what I want to capture in these interviews. And of course, because I'm a nerd and I love learning and I want other people to love learning too, this is going to be a very educational podcast. And in the show notes of every episode, there's going to be a list of links where you can go and do some more learning based on whatever we talked about. So maybe we're talking about a certain performance. I'm going to add a YouTube link in there so you can go see it for yourself. Maybe we talk about a certain book or we quote something. There's a link to that too. So be sure to check the show notes of every episode and see what other resources I've been able to gather for you. I want each podcast episode to be a launching point for you to go and learn something new. I'm really excited to go on this journey with you all. If you ever have any notes or even want to request that I interview a certain person or about a certain icon, you can email me at immortaliconsofdance at gmail.com. Be sure to follow the podcast on Instagram at immortaliconsofdance. You can subscribe to our website, immortaliconsofdance.com, and you can shop our merch collection at shop.immortaliconsofdance.com. The Immortal Icons of Dance podcast is written, produced, and edited by me, Lauren Johnson. Our music is written by Shelby Rassler of Jenkins and & Rassler, and technical support is generously provided by Libby Lessenhoff.